welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Uh, my name is Nathan Lear. I'm with my co-host today, Glenn Fairburn. Uh, today, our discussion is going to be centered around this whole concept of uh, low interest rates uh, and I guess living in a world where, where low interest rates are probably the new normal. Um, and you know, it's very difficult for many investors out there to uh, derive a, what they might consider an acceptable rate of income. Uh, from their investment. So that'll be our focus today. But before we uh, get into it, I thought I'd just throw to, throw to you, Glenn, what's been happening over the past few weeks? Any any updates for us? Uh, I suppose it w- I was, well, you and myself were in Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a few clients over there. So use, use the trip as a bit of an opportunity to catch up with them. But I suppose from my perspective, it was interesting just to, obviously with all the demonstrations that are going on there at the moment, we're a little bit not 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 sort of fearful going in probably a bit more anxious as to how we'll get around and whether there'd be delays and so forth leading into it um but yeah so i, I found it obviously pretty interesting i mean I, i'm not sure whether it was sort of time we got the timing right or whatever it may be but it, it's we, we didn't get much disruption over there at all with any of the we, demonstrations did we it was if we didn't not what we thought it was going to be like if we didn't follow the news or the media we wouldn't have even known there was protests going on yeah. for the for the four or five days we were there would we and, and look I, we didn't see a thing no there's there basically nothing I think or we didn't get caught a, up in any roadblocks or no, any there was no roadblocks or anything like that i mean we we're, were on the island i think on the saturday one of the saturday nights we were there there might have been a very small demonstration we didn't see anything and, and look that was sort of the impression that i got from the clients that i spoke to over there as well like I, I did call and speak to one of them um leading up to the trip just to say look is it going to be hard to move around you know in particular where we were staying um is it going to be disruptive and and look their their response was no they haven't had many issues um and, and i suppose the reason why it's interesting to talk about this is that obviously what's happened over there has been um, reported in the media and some of the things have obviously been quite dramatic and we're not saying that to, un- to try and undermine what's happened over there or or underplay some of the demonstrations but i i think you know it, it's always important to um understand what the what the true state of affairs is and you don't get that until you actually get there um but look longer term who, who knows how long it's going to play out i think it has obviously come off a little bit in in recent weeks um, but aside from all that, I, I think one of the things that was pretty obvious to observe was just a slowdown in, in tourist activity, wasn't it? I mean, um, my, my client works at, at one of the hotels in Hong Kong and he was saying that, you know, they're 70% vacant basically. Mm. Um, and a lot of their you know, major tourist attractions like Disneyland and so forth, there's no lines. Um, so look, it has no doubt affected their economy. And it, it's always interesting when you go to other countries and you, know, you chat to the locals, whether it's an Uber driver or a taxi driver or whatever. And I mean, that, that he was saying that the property market's obviously come off a little bit as well, which is probably positive for some people over there. But mm. did he say, I mean, whether it was, it's all sort of anecdotal evidence, but he mentioned like 5% drop in the market. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what we heard. And not not surprising. And, and I, I just, just kind of looking at some figures, um, you know, Hong Kong has actually, yeah, has plunged into recession in the third quarter. Uh, according to some data released, the economy shrank 3.2% during the three months to September. So, I mean, it, th- there's no doubt this is having an impact on the economy. Um, as you said, you could just you know, visually see it when you were there that just things things seem slower, vacancies in hotels. Well, I was there a couple of years ago and um, it seemed to be a lot busier then. Um, look, wh- whether it's just, I don't know, like as I said, we were just there at a time where we didn't have any issues. Um, it's still a very safe place. I mean, you're moving around. You, you, I feel a lot safer there than a lot of other places in the world. Um, so you just wonder how long it's going to take before these things turn around because obviously the, 
the media attention has been so heavy mm. that people have either cancelled trips or gone elsewhere. Mm. Um, it's a it's a complex situation with this whole China, you know, China um, situation. You know, in two thousand and forty seven, whatever the date is, where where they take over, so to speak. So I guess maybe a maybe worthy of a podcast in itself <laughs> this discussion. But um, maybe we'll. We'll, we'll we'll jump back to the the topic today. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, so, I, and I was just going to say, look, I think interest rates globally are falling. We, we've seen them fall again recently in Australia. So, I mean, as as an advisor, it's um, one of those challenges that I think a lot of people are confronting, isn't it? I mean, we're probably seeing more clients now who've been sitting on cash. Maybe they thought it was a good idea. Still, I, I think the scars of the GSC where people are a bit reluctant to invest, but also another common. Uh, comment I suppose is um, you know oh the market's going to fall I don't want to invest now because the market's been going strong for so long there's going to be a correction so I'm just going to sit on cash not such a great no definitely not idea Um, now just to set the scene Glenn um, it's kind of topical we talk about it this week because because the Federal Reserve uh, did cut again this week so the the US Federal Reserve cut interest rates for the the third time in a row uh, to uh, 1.5 to 1.75 percent. Um, so, and you know, similarly, the the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, has also cut three times since uh, post the election, since June. So, uh, we were we were at 1.5 percent earlier in the year, and and now we're at 0.75. And um, it looks quite likely that um, we're going to see maybe one more cut, maybe early next year. Who knows? But um, so we could see the official cash rate down to 0.5%. So we're just going from yeah. historic lows to historic lows. It's you know it's we've never really been in this in this situation before. And so it, it is you know what you were just saying Glenn it is it's so pertinent for I guess what we do because uh, a lot of people do rely on whether it's uh, bank deposits or, or or term deposits to to derive an income stream especially those that are uh, in that retirement phase. So it's getting harder and harder for them to achieve uh, income to live off. Well, it's one of their. It's bittersweet, isn't it, with rates falling? Because it's great for, for you know, people who have got mortgages. And we've spoken a lot on this podcast about increasing property values and difficulty in getting into the market. So falling interest rates obviously provides um, a great opportunity for people to repay debt. But I suppose the flip side of that, there's a couple of things that that are negative about that is that people are paying more debt down in, instead of spending on the economy, which is I suppose I'm not an economist, but that's what's um, reducing the impact of further rate cuts, isn't it? Because people just aren't spending money. They're repaying debt, which isn't helping to stimulate the economy. Um, So there's a winner on one side, but the big losers are those who are the majority of the population being the baby boomers that perhaps have repaid their debt and perhaps, you know, either approaching retirement, in retirement and need to rely on their, the interest that they earn from their investments to meet their income needs, which, I mean, what what are term deposits at the moment like? one two percent probably your high ones so it's yeah. not even exceeding yeah. what inflation is with the rising cost of living you know which is a, which is a good point actually with in, inflation because i mean the inflation figures that, that that were released i think earlier this week um were in line with kind of what what the market was hoping or, or i think annualized rate of 1.7 so if inflation had gone down significantly the odds of a rate cut were, were even stronger so uh on cup day which is next week so um in inflation uh, although it was kind of uh, as expected, it, it is, has been very low, um, and you know that's that is an indicator that perhaps people aren't spending, as you just said. Then, Glenn, people are more inclined to pay down uh, their loans with with these low interest rates than 
then um then put that money back into circulation to the economy on you know, yeah. buying cars, TVs, what, whatever it might be. So, I, I think that's the big thing that the that the government uh, or the, the Reserve Bank and the powers that be would be looking at, just trying to really get that confidence back into the market that to 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 see inflation maybe get back to within that two to three percent band that they that they really hope for. Do you? Th- I mean, what, what do you think the the main because we, we see it. We're sort of at the coalface to some extent with a certain demographic of people, but there still seems to be a lot of people just sitting on cash. Doesn't because it? I think because the people are, are, are worried. Yeah, people it, are worried. Yeah. The recession talk and share market all time highs. They're like, well, I, I'm getting nothing from cash. I'm worried about the share market. I'm worried about the bond market. That's a bubble as well. I'm hearing property. Uh, property is pretty expensive. What do I do? What, I'll just sit on cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that that's. That's ultimately why we set up this podcast, wasn't it? To try and give people more knowledge to make decisions or perhaps not make the decision themselves, but that decision that they make maybe to speak to an advisor because, I mean, you know, as far as sitting on cash, it may seem like a good idea in the short term, but the longer you sit on cash, the the more costly that decision becomes, doesn't it? Mm. Regardless of what the interest rate environment is because the money that's in cash, it's not growing and if the cost of living is rising then the real purchasing power of that money is going down and the longer you just sit on the sidelines trying to pick when a market's going to fall or whatever it may be you're just going to get that wrong aren't you? you're not going to get that right mm. so that i think that's one of the main lessons for people who are sitting on cash mm. is that you're not going to get the decision right if you do it's just luck isn't it mm. because the question may be Oh well, the markets are going to fall, and you know we were just chatting about this this morning. Well, it's it's inevitable that the market will come off, but how much further is it going to go up before it comes off? So how much are you going to miss out on before it comes off? Mm. Um, and the other side of the equation is that a lot of those assets that have the potential to grow also generate income. Like if you think about you know good quality portfolio of shares or you know, a, a property portfolio or, or any other property asset, they're not just providing growth, they're also providing income, which at the moment is quite a lot better than what you're getting in cash, isn't it? Hmm. So with, with these low interest rates, uh, I'll, I'll ask this as a question and we can bounce it around, but how low do you think they can go? And I don't, I, I'm asking you for a prediction, I know I won't hold you to it. And, and how low can they go, let's say in the Australian context and, and how long can they stay at these these ridiculously low levels? Look, it'd just be a get. Well, they can go to mm. zero. There's no doubt about that. I mean, to to make to they try can go s- negative though. Yeah, like, they can yeah. go negative. Look, to to try and say that they're as low as they're going to go and they're not going to fall any further. I think the last couple of years has proven otherwise because we were hearing many many times and we were probably making the prediction that you know, oh they're very low now they're not going to go any further. It's going to mm. the only way's up now. But look what's happened. Mm. So I think anything's possible. So if, if we're at, what are we at, 75 basis points at the moment, uh, with, with where things are at, with, with what we've been through in the very, very short period of time, it wouldn't surprise me if they go down further. Mm. Um, but, but you don't think they're going to, like, like do, you, do you think that they might stay at these low levels for you know, some years? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's it hard to see. Like. You, you just can't see rates rising. It's hard to see what's going to drive them up quickly. Not, rates yeah. up quickly. They, they may. I mean, oh, that's it. I, I don't know. I'm just making a guess here. We, we might see another cut, and then it might stay like that for a period of time. You you would guess. You has you know you you'd, t- you'd have a step in the dark and say that at some point they're going to start rising, but if if the long term average what is it six percent, 
to get back up to that level anytime soon, you just can't see it. Mm. Anything's possible. Um, and that's why now more than ever, and this is what I'm saying to clients at the moment, now more than ever, you need to be looking at a long-term investment strategy. You can't just rely on cash, term deposits, and even fixed interest. I think it, what, what's happened over the last number of years, three to five years, um, and we've seen the proof of this, is the strength in just having that diversified portfolio where you're not relying on any one asset class to drive your return mm. because things like this can happen. Um, and it, it can be disastrous for people. I mean, you might, have, you might retire today and think, oh, I've got enough money to last myself 10 years. But if you're assuming a you know, 3 4% income return and you're, not, and you're getting one, then your money's going to run out pretty quickly. What, what's, the, what's crazy, Glenn, is the, um, the Australian 10-year government bonds, the interest rate. Yeah. So it's, it's around 1.13%. Yeah, so so just slightly go. over 1%. Yeah. Uh, just for comparison purposes, the US 10-year uh, government bond rate's around 1.8%. Um, th- there's actually quite a few countries that, are, uh, that, are, that, that have negative uh, 10-year... 10-year bond rates so for example you know japan germany belgium netherlands switzerland all all these countries have actually negative 10-year bond rates so what that means is people are prepared to give their money to the government as safe as can be let's say almost um, for a 10-year period and pay a price for doing that they're not going to get all their capital back if they do that it's a negative interest rate yeah it's quite quite mind-blowing isn't it it is and and look I suppose the the reason behind that would be that they think um, cost of assets is going to go down. So, you know, or the price of assets is going to go down or you're going to have deflation where the value of assets actually goes in reverse. So, mm-hmm. you're, pre- you're prepared to pay the government to preserve your dollar amount because otherwise it's just going to go it's back. It's like an insurance policy, yeah, isn't it? I, I, I Almost. So. And I, I suppose that if, if that's the case, which it is, I mean, any, anything can happen. We've seen that anything has happened a lot historically with markets in, in a very, very short history. But you just can't, you, I, I can't see rates rising anytime soon. So if you're sitting back waiting for rates to increase and you're happy to sit on cash because you think it's going to get better, I think you're doing yourself a pretty major disservice, don't you think? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't be very comfortable yeah, giving, giving my money away for 10 years and getting, getting no or a negative return. I think in any climate, I mean, would you want to have all your money in cash? We'd be saying in any client, like 10 years ago, we'd been saying the same thing to clients. But I think now at any point in history to be getting a return of 1%, yeah, you need to go out and get advice. It's, um, it's I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert on the, the whole Japanese economy, but I think a lot of countries are fearful that, you know, what's happened in Japan over the past 20, 30 years where um, they've had basically, yeah, this situation where they've got negative interest rates they've got like no growth no inflation or deflation um yeah i think a lot of a lot of you know western countries are quite fearful what what, what's happened there they don't want to happen to themselves people probably don't understand deflation because deflation just means the cost of goods is going down or the price of goods is going down now you might think oh that's good you know things are cheaper but what it does to the economy is if you think something is going to be cheaper Next week than what it is today. First spending, what are you going to do? You're not going to yeah. spend any money. So that, that's you what wait. happens. You just keep waiting and waiting mm. and waiting. You don't. You never spend anything, and that's that's a that's a disaster for economies. Mm. Um, and that's why inflation is important to keep that expenditure ticking along because that's what drives, you know, the economy. And then it can go can go the other way where 
you know, Zimbabwe and some countries have had the hyperinflation where things just get inflated to ridiculous levels. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's a, I guess it's a, it's a difficult job for central banks to, to get this, this whole monetary policy thing right. Cause, but yeah. also think, look, look if, if we sort of go back to on the investment front, um, of course, you know, to get a higher return than cash, you do need to take a, a little bit more risk. I mean, yep, risk and return, you know, is arm in arm. But risk isn't a bad thing as long as you manage it. And you don't have to take extraordinarily high levels of risk to achieve a good solid return. Um, you know, you can invest in good quality assets, have a diversified approach. Um, so you're managing the risk. Because, I mean, you can understand people's concerns that, look, the share market's done so well. What if I invest all my money into the share market today and it falls? And, and I don't think any any experienced advisor would be advocating that anyway i mean that's where the diversified approach helps you isn't it yeah yeah i mean 100 percent. you know that those assets that move in different directions at different times so one might go up one might go down and yes if the share market has a fall well the property market might not or the the bond market might not or um i mean that's really kind of finance 101 is it or investing 101 yeah. spreading your assets around to, to remove the risk but also building a portfolio that's uh, transparent, uh, you know, cash flow. You know what it is. You know where the, the income is coming from. And um, I mean, we you know we demonstrate to our clients uh, how we can generate an income return that is acceptable to them. You know, not talking one two percent, maybe five six percent in a in a mm. balanced portfolio where um and at the right level of risk too, because that's very important. Yeah, because th- there are still opportunities in that sort of credit fixed interest space where you can get good returns because. I, th- I think you know, w- whether this just, c- I think it did come out of the, the global financial crisis. Yes, interest rates are low, but banks aren't lending the money to areas they were previously. And that's where there's been a growth in private credit mm. to good, still good quality borrowers. Um, but instead did, of it... Did, did you want to Did you want to just private credit? I mean, some of our listeners might not kind of get that concept. Do you want to maybe just we'll dumb that down a little bit, just explain yeah, how that would I work? Mean, very simplistically, I mean, as far as if you're a company, um, you want to borrow money, historically, you would have just gone to a bank. But banks just aren't lending. If you're to, a company or a company. even would that apply to individuals as well, do you think? Potentially. Private yeah. lending? Is yeah, that, yeah. Pri- private, yeah, yeah, private lending if, you, if you're looking yeah. at um, sort of that first mortgage space, um, which, which is, I suppose, you know, private credit in general or credit in general is a pretty, a pretty big space. But if we're looking at more the corporate type yep. debt, historically, a lot of those companies have perhaps gone to banks. Um, but post-GFC, banks have obviously stepped away. They have to hold a lot more um, assets on their balance sheet. So they're not lending as much as what they used to. And that's where there's been a massive growth in um, private credit being that the banks have sort of stepped away and private investors have stepped in um, to provide that lending capacity. So as a result of that, there are opportunities in that space to get reasonable rates of return without pushing yourself too high up the, the risk curve. I mean, we've seen a few opportunities where the rates of return are sort of anywhere between 4 and 6%, depending on where they're domiciled, um, what the what the credit worthiness of the companies are and what the strategy is. But there's still opportunities where you can get good rates of return. Um, of course, you need to speak to your advisor and, and get the right advice there. Um, but the other area that we invest quite a lot in is first mortgages, which is basically you lending money to an individual who you, who's using their property as security, um, all through a very tight, r- tightly regulated managed investment scheme. Um, and yes, there's risk like anything. If you're providing a loan to someone, um, there is risk that they can default. 
Um, and that's where the security of the asset's really important. So the ones that we look at in the first mortgage space is where a property is used as security and the loan doesn't ex- exceed more than you know, 67% of the value of a property. So there's a fair degree of security there. And what are the interest rates on those? We're, we're still seeing sixes and sevens and in some cases eights. Um, yeah. So I suppose the message that we're trying to get across is that there's, there's still opportunities to get good income um, but you just need to perhaps be a little bit more sophisticated mm. and look outside of the traditional types of fixed interest like term deposits and, and, and cash. Yep. And obviously risk is a, you know, the, the thing that you need to understand, but you know, there is ways you can achieve that income without what we consider excessive levels of risk. So th- there's plenty of opportunity out there for people to, to redeploy money away from cash and term deposits and, and, and do that. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose outside of fixed interest, you know, if, if we're getting back to diversification, um, it, it would still be looking at, even though you may view it as um, as peak in the cycle, um, shares and property. I mean, I think having a well-diversified portfolio with exposure to those assets is still a good long-term strategy. And, and even if you invest in shares today and the market falls... Well, you've got that fixed interest where you can perhaps top up. So it's all about having the strategy, isn't it? It's not necessarily trying to pick the best time to invest in different markets and being worried about, you know, at what point am I investing in the share market or the property market? Because if you've got that diversified portfolio, you've got cash, you've got fixed interest, then that's the resource you can draw upon in the event that there is a correction. I say this to clients all the time. If there's a correction, if you're if you're a client or a person that has um, a good portfolio behind you, you know, you might be a retiree, you've built your wealth. A correction should be in a way almost welcomed because yeah. you can be that smart investor. That's right. That's buying because you've got cash, you've got fixed income, you can call on that when the herd are selling and running for the exits. You can be a buyer and yes, you're gonna, it's going to hurt you in the short term yeah. as, as asset prices fall, but you're going to buy and then a couple of years down the track when prices revert back to where they should be, you're going to be a lot better for that. So yeah, it's, it doesn't need to be looked at as, oh my God, markets are correcting. They're down well, 10, 20%. If you're not 20%. selling, it doesn't matter. Like, well, you're, that's, you're that's, buying. Yeah, that's yeah. the point you were making before about having the visibility in your portfolio where you, you know what the income is going to be because if an asset falls by 10%, like I know emotionally it's not great when you look at the value of your portfolio and it's fallen. But in the end, it's meaningless. Mm. Unless you're selling the asset, mm. does it really matter? Right. And if you're a retiree living off the income, you're right. I mean, if you're taking a short-term view, then yeah, it's not great when the market falls. But if you're a long-term investor and you, I mean, if you retire at 65 and you look at life expectancy, you've probably got 30 years ahead of you, mm. you know, potentially. That's a long investment time frame. Mm. So if you think about the impact of a downturn, as you were saying, like the opportunity there is that when everyone else is panicking and running away, well, you've, if you've got the diversified portfolio, um, you can draw on your fixed interest. That's your resource. That's your ammunition, and and pick up good quality assets at depressed prices. Also, just I mean, diversifying income streams, and you know, we're talking about fixed income, we're talking about equities, um, you know, dividends on and equities. Um, I think you mentioned property before, but you know, commercial property is a, is a place where we invest for a lot of our clients, and um, you know, some some great returns can still some income returns. Yeah, let's park cap the, the capital price discussion for a second, but just. You know, we're talking five, six, seven percent on um, a lot of really quality commercial assets, long term, backed by long term leases. So there could be 
companies or a range of uh, different companies that are leasing that property increasing by a couple of percent per year yeah yep could you know could be a a, a weighted average lease expiry or whale as they call it for could be anywhere from five six seven eight years so even if that value of that property does fall in the short term may may go up you're still getting that quality income yeah that's right yeah, yeah so it's just a matter of there is ways you can do it but you've just got to i think we've said a few times you've just got to seek that advice and have a a quality diversified portfolio and i think not getting too greedy either like you know there's what we're talking about is what we would view as sort of middle of the road from a risk perspective i mean we're, we're not as a as a as a as a portfolio manager we're not high risk we we, we tend to sort of prioritize capital protection and, and and look at things that are pretty easy to understand and, and fairly low risk but you can even in this environment you can you can get higher rates of return like double digit but then, you know, I think that's where greed can perhaps take over. You don't need to, I don't think, or well, my view, you don't have to push yourself that far mm. to get a good return. That's when you're exposing your capital mm. probably a bit too much. Mm. Oh, just a couple, couple of other things, Glenn. Um, just, just unemployment's a, an interesting one because we were talking about low interest rates and, um, you know, there's a couple of drivers here for interest rates. You know, inflation we've spoken about, but I think unemployment's the another a worthy worthy thing to talk about because unemployment still is quite low like i know yeah. it has increased somewhat in, in the recent in the last year or so but at around a little bit over five percent unemployment is still quite low yeah so yeah. um you know we, we spoke about before what's gonna what's gonna change what's gonna change is or stop see a, a reversal of the declining interest rate environment i mean we'd want to see maybe unemployment remain uh, or stay stay low. It's probably wage growth, isn't it? I mean, I, and, and wage growth. Yeah, said, I'm not. I'm no economist. I mean, I, I'm interested in it, so I try and keep up to date with you know what's happening, what's driving the economy, what's holding it back. But unemployment's been low for a long, long time, and, it, and we just don't want to spike up in unemployment, no, do we? We don't no. want to see it go up to seven or eight well, percent, and that's just going to slow everything down. Skill shortage. I don't think unemployment's issue. I think it's more so wage growth, and maybe, I mean, increased working hours, increased productivity. But just expenditure. People just yeah. aren't spending any money. And they're all really important things you just said. I mean, unemployment, that's the that's the headline thing. But wage growth and productivity, no doubt. Um, you know, they're measures that I know economists yeah. look at really, really closely. We want to see those going in the and right confidence, direction. confidence, I think, is, is a thing. Because if you're confident mm. about your job, if you're confident about the economy, then you're more inclined to invest in your business, employ people, employ them for longer, pay them more. I think that these yeah. are all things that could potentially, you know, help the economy but but like yeah just to wrap that up that part up inflation and unemployment it, it definitely gonna have a big impact on the way interest rates go so yeah. they're things to i guess for people to keep an eye on um th- this whole this whole concept of qe or or, or what's called quantitative easing it's just yeah. it's interesting because um m- many people probably wouldn't have known what this was before the u.s started doing it some 10 or whatever years ago it was now but um now without explaining it chapter and verse quantitative easing or um, you know, printing money is another way that it's described. Pretty much, where government, central banks, um, put more money into circulation by yeah. buying bonds and other things like that. Um, so the US did it. The US kind of printed their way out of uh, a recession, so to speak, and and Europe has has done it too. Um, some people are, are saying that Australia might yeah uh, might look to do it. Is that have you put any thought into that or? Oh, look, I think anything's possible. Um, you know, I mean, the, the reason they do it is to push down longer-term interest rates. Um, but yeah, look, it, anything's possible. I mean, we, we were talking about interest rates only last year, and I reckon even we were saying that probably going to go up or stay flat. So yeah, 
I think cool. anything's possible. Um, the one thing that the RBA's said, which I'd probably agree with, is I mean, you, you can't help but think that governments now are sort of hell bent on budget surpluses. And you just, is that the right thing? I mean, who's to say that governments are supposed mm. to run budget surpluses? I mean, economics mm. 101, you know, it's you run a deficit when the economy needs stimulation and you run a surplus when it needs to be slowed down. We seem to be running surpluses all the time. And I understand the reasoning behind it with concerns about debt and, and what have you. But I don't know, like part of me just thinks, look, interest rates are so low. You look at it from an investment perspective, you know, you talk to whether it's property investors or people that are, that have got experience investing, their, their view is it's a great time to borrow to invest. So you, you just wonder why the government with interest rates so low, why aren't they investing in, in projects like mm. infrastructure to try and kick the economy along? Is it because we've got a skill shortage? I don't know. It's just mm. surely we can be doing more than just relying on interest rate cuts. Is it tax cuts? Is it tax cuts in the right areas? And this might be controversial, but... Um, I, th- I think a CEO of a ma- yeah, they might have a vested interest of a major retailer said that rate sorry interest rate tax cuts should be applied to high income earners because they're the ones who are most more likely to spend it. Um, so look, th- I think there's a lot of things that that mm. could be done. Um, yeah, the go- the government can borrow borrow from its people at a little yeah. bit over one percent. Exactly. And why wouldn't they? I mean, the return on that is huge. So I don't know. I don't know the answer. It's, I'm sure there's a lot smarter people than me <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you question sometimes that you question yeah, it. but you just hope that the whole political landscape isn't influenced by what they think the general public wants mm. yeah i mean I, I've, I've been saying for years i don't sound like i'm on the bandwagon here but i've been saying for years and years that i can't understand why we're not investing more in infrastructure and is um, it because of skill shortage like we just um, even if we had the money that we're going to pay over the odds for it i'd i'd, I'd like to think no because why can't you skill up? Yeah. You can skill up your people. Can't, I mean, take a long-term view and just do it. Um, yeah, I mean, jo- if jobs are created on, if you build, you know, a new toll, a tunnel or a bridge, or I mean, jobs will. You'd like to think jobs would be filled. Like and the people, money comes back. That's what people don't. I think people forget this. That if the, let's just say the government borrows a billion dollars and invests in a project, if that's not a billion dollars, it's lost because that money, you know, it, it's mm. it's it stimulates through the the economy, people pay taxes on that money. A lot of that money comes back, mm. doesn't it? But it's just, you've got to have someone who's got the foresight to take that long-term view. I know that we're, I'm not sure the exact date, but we're intended to get back into a budget surplus. Is it like next year or something? Or It's pretty soon, whatever yeah. it is. Um, I mean, how, for how many years now? I feel like the last 10 years, oh, that's been every budget. That's the thing that gets the key. But all they're doing is sucking money out of the economy. You think about... If the government's running a surplus, that means that their revenues are more than their expenses. Now, how do they raise revenue? It's through taxes. Taxing, yeah. So, you know, the government's relying on the RBA to cut rates to stimulate the economy, but then they're sucking the money out through taxes. So, it, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of it too simplistically. But, oh, look, um, look, it's, I don't know, sometimes sometimes you have to think simply, but who, who knows really. But... um. Are there any other other points that you wanted to to raise before we wrap up, Glenn? Not really. I, I think as 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 we were sort of chatting about, I, I think the if you're looking at what are stupid things to be doing right now, well, one stupid thing is to just sit on cash forever because if you're waiting for a correction, you could be waiting forever, and you could get it right, but it's just going to be luck. Um, the best thing is to have a strategy, get some advice that's suitable for you, 
um, and start looking at alternatives. Sure. Look, that that's pretty good kind of wrap up there, Glenn. Um, so we'll, we'll close it there. So thanks again for listening. We love any feedback that you might have, please. And please always, you know, keep topic suggestions coming to us. So look forward to having you again next week. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.